Time is a slippery thing. It can speed up and it can slow down. Time can propel us through life or keep us standing still. And we're always trying to make time or to fill time. To cut down how long it takes to do something or to get somewhere. This episode is part one of our ride on the wheels of time. You're listening to the Bone Shaker cast. I'm Gary Fool. This is the slow episode and is about what happens when we take time. When you're painting or drawing, one side of a record is about as long as you should be doing it for. And then you've got to stop and turn the record over and that gives you a bit of a minute to stop and look at what you've done and figure out if you've been doing it right or not. This is Stanley Donwood, artist, writer and bike rider. There's a telly programme that uh, Terry Jones, you know, at the Monty Python lot, he did about, about the Middle Ages, you know, the medieval time and how, in some ways, it was not so bad, you know. So if you're a serf and you're working for the Lord of the Manor, you only have to work a certain number of days of the year or give them a certain amount of your stuff at the end of the year. And they, they, they had a lot more leisure time than we think. We kind of imagine people working all the time, but constant work is a, a legacy of the industrial age, of you know the, the enclosures of the countryside and the massive migration from the rural to the urban, which has now been replicated, of course, like worldwide. And and the idea of clocking on, clocking off, time and efficiency studies and all that stuff, it's all done by capitalists, man. It's not, it's not the natural state of being. So all of this time that we've lost, where's it gone? It's yeah. a kind of weird Northern European Protestant work ethic, uh, the guilt felt over idleness and slackness. I'm quite a fan of idleness. It's got a bad name. It's like, when do you do your thinking unless you're being idle? I mean, you kind of, you have to be doing nothing to think properly about anything. The average person probably knows Stanley for his artwork on the sleeves of all those Radiohead albums. He spent the last couple of years producing covers for 21 JG Ballard books, as well as putting together a large exhibition in Sydney. You could safely say Stanley is productive. But what we're talking about is what happens to us with the general acceleration of the world. Progression, productivity, and a bewildered sense of galloping towards the grave. For Stanley and Nick Hand, who we'll be hearing from soon, something happens when we step back and take time. Step away from the clock. The dream of the motor car is is quite fantastic. The idea of spending minimal effort to move at incredible speeds and you know the the car adverts they reveal this because they they're always open roads or very fast driving and the thing on the on the on the speedometer that the speed goes up to like i don't know what it goes up to like 120 miles an hour something that must be absolutely the most exciting thing in the world to go that fast you know but that's not the reality the reality is crawling along behind you know the the bus or 
being stuck in traffic. And, you know, the, I think there's this thing when, when traffic reaches a, a certain density, it starts to obey the rules of fluid dynamics. There is no free will involved in driving a car. There is no freedom. But the idea is, oh, I'll just hop in the car and I'll just nip down. And people tell you, they tell you the most outrageous lies about how long it takes to get somewhere. Oh, yeah, it's five minutes away. Fucking not five minutes away. You've got to find the car keys. You've got to walk to wherever you've parked your car because there's hardly anywhere to park your car. Unlock it, get in, turn it on, hope it starts. Get out of the car parking space. It's probably really difficult because it's really small. And you've got to drive through a traffic jam that takes ages to somewhere that's probably about five minutes away by walking. Then you get there and you've got to find somewhere else to park. Find the par- the parking meter, get a change out or phone some number that's driving you mad. And, uh, you know, basically it's not five minutes. Nothing is five minutes apart from a Bugs Bunny cartoon, which is five minutes. So technology is supposed to help us cut down time, access vast information, or reduce the amount of effort we need to do something. But maybe effort has a bad name as well as idleness. Speeding across continents while sitting still has to leave something in us a little at odds with time and space. As maybe does the ability to connect with a limitless wider world from a small device in our pockets. As work time could be measured by two sides of a record, maybe time and travel are best measured by the acts of our own free will, some effort and the rotation of two wheels. Time, after all, is supposed to be measured in simple cycles. Yeah, so here here in my my pocket I've got a a very powerful computer, far more powerful than the one that was on the uh, Apollo mission to the moon if i if i can't think of a word or what something means or where something is i can consult the machine that knows everything in my pocket and people do do that i've had conversations with people and 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 it's like what's that thing and they get their they get their little pocket computer out and look up the thing using a reputable search engine very antisocial (laughs) it is yeah our our memory for certain things is is kind of inverse to the the growing memory of of the devices that we have you know there's so many things that you can press i don't know how to turn off data roaming my girlfriend had to show me how to turn off data roaming. everyone knows where you are as well yeah and that exactly that perfect tracking devices for for a drone a drone armed with with light weaponry so where do you think all this is going Ah, oh, I don't know. I've no idea. I used to I used to have kind of you know, these ideas that we were gonna end up in some sort of East German Stasi police state thing, but really I doubt that the people in charge have the competence to to do that. That's my um device telling me something. He's te- that's Nick Hand that we just saw. He's telling us that he's having a bagel and asking if we fancy a cider. So Luckily, it wasn't a, a drone armed with light weaponry that time, just a printer armed with a pint of cider. <laughs> I, I don't think it was like a middle age, it wasn't like a middle age thing, but it was more just getting to an age where you think, actually, you know, time is, is less 
And when you're sort of 30 or 40, you think, you, you know, years gone forever. But when you get to 50, you suddenly think, blimey, you know, better start doing some things. So one of the things was just not knowing kind of the country well enough or Britain. So I thought there's all these places I've never been. And also I was kind of intrigued because Harriet, my wife and I, had been going to Cornwall every year and I was kind of a bit intrigued about the idea of of how long it would take if you just carried on cycling along along the path with the sea on your left before you came back to that same point. And it took Nick five months to cycle clockwise on his slow coast journey around the British Isles. He decided to take his time so he could see things properly and seek out the artists and craftspeople that work along the edges of the country. People who take time to make. The thing about meeting craftspeople, um, there's a few things. One was they're totally inspirational people. Like if you meet a maker, like someone who is really passionate, or even if they're not passionate, they're 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 like have make something amazing and they've got amazing skills. And you know, if you if you cycle for sort of seven or eight hours and then you meet someone like that, you 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 go away and you just feel amazing because it's totally inspiring. Nick also recently made another journey to Germany on a bespoke cargo bike made by his friend Robin Mather. There used to be a frame builder like Robin in every town throughout England, certainly not the case now due to mass production. And it's interesting to hear Robin's thoughts on this. If you wanted a nice bike, that was what you did. That, that, your option was to have a nice handmade bike made by some bloke locally. Um, because the stuff that was being mass-produced wasn't that nice. Um, but that's n no longer the case, really. Mass-produced stuff actually is really nice now and really good value, and it performs really, really well. So there has to be another reason for buying something that's handmade. Um, and I think it goes along with the... You know, there's an appetite for lots of handmade stuff, not just bicycles now. People like to know where things are coming from and who's made it and why they've made it and what they're... Um, motivation is and their principles and how they operate their business and why they do the things they do. Nick found 120 artisan makers on his journey and many of them he just stumbled across. It was a Sunday morning, I was just cycling through a little village in Suffolk, it was a f sort of flat place um, and um, there was a black um, it sort of caught my eye because there was a little black painted wooden bungalow and there was a picket fence and it just had a little A5 sign that said stick maker and that was all, that was all it was so I thought oh I better find out a bit more about this. I was born in Lincolnshire uh, at a place called Binbrook and uh, my father was a rabbit catcher and uh, always carried a stick all his life. Uh, my stick making started with me scrounging at father for a stick uh, and he would pull a stick out the edge and say there you are boy that'll do for now. Um, uh, as I progressed and got a little bit older and uh, got my own pocket knife and one thing or another uh, father said well you can get your own now boy and uh, I spent an awful lot of my life following packs of hounds and people saw what sticks I'd got and asked me if I would like to make them one. I make mainly working sticks, not show sticks. Um, some sticks uh, made from 
antler made from wood, uh, I made knobsticks, I made I, I used buffalo horn, I used ram's horn, um, all the different things. I do make traditional shepherd's crooks uh, for shepherds to use. Now, nowadays, uh, the majority of shepherds use a, a, a metal crook that you can buy, or, uh, but uh, I still make them out of the ram's horn and uh, as they was always made. So, Nigel Legg and fisherman, artist, willow lobster pot maker. Well, I was born in uh, 1950 and uh, I was brought up in Cadgeworth, a little fishing place with my father, fisherman. Um, uh, I used to go out with him in a boat. I then, at the age of 17 or 18, joined the Merchant Navy for seven or eight years and came back and saved up uh, nine. £1,200 saved up the Merchant Navy and I could have bought my grandmother's thatch cottage for 900 quid. But instead of that, I bought a fishing boat and next year the house prices went up. I never actually caught up with them anymore. Um, but then that don't really matter. I was dead and gone now. And now, as I'm getting older, I'm doing a lot more painting, making pots, uh, willow lobster pots. And it's, as I get even more decrepit, I can probably sit up in my little studio with the sun shining paint some pictures of fishing boats and reminisce of years gone by and just probably be a pain in the neck to all the young fishermen um, when I want to go see once in the blue moon. At this very moment in time I'm as fit as I've ever been I think uh, I, I discovered yoga about three years ago and I recommend that to any old codger just keeps you stretched and not seizing up and uh Keep working. Retirement stopping is just a nonsense, really. Um, okay, not kill yourself through work, but just keep doing a few bits and pieces and uh, stay with the youngsters. Don't uh, join too many old things. Just stay. The youngsters actually keep you alive, really, and they're brilliant. Most youngsters are actually brilliant. Uh, they get very bad press, a lot of them, but most of them are as good as gold and uh, treated right, and they're they're okay. John Hanna, John Joseph Hanna, born and bred here in Donegal Town, uh, born on the 13th of March 1944, right? Uh, my father came from Belfast, and you just mentioned you cycled from Belfast. We are the second man that came to this factory from Belfast. <laughs> but my father done it. He was born in 1805, Dad, right? And when he was 19, he decided... He answered an ad in the newspaper where the was a position for an apprentice tailor. Wrote, got an interview. So he said he left Belfast on his bicycle on a Sunday morning, but he worked uh, six days a week. You know, he was born an orphan boy and left on the doorsteps of an orphanage when he was only six hours old in Belfast. And the Convent of Mercy nuns, they reared him until he was six years old. And they handed him over to the De La Salle Christian Brothers, who gave him his education. And when he was nine and ten, if a button fell off their jacket, he would ask if he could sew the button on. So from a very early stage, he was shown, you know, the interest in garments and traditional trades and tailoring. So when he was twelve, when he got his summer holidays, he used to work for an, uh, as a, an apprentice tailor with, oh, for a company called Clark's on the Falls Road. When he left, 
school at 14. Then he went down and got a job full time with this company. But he left that company when he was 19. He came to work in Donegal town for a tailor here. He never left Donegal after that. And he married my mother when she was 19. He was 27 and had 11 kids, seven girls and four boys. And the trade has continued on and on since that. It's now in the third generation. And my father died in 1985. And um, so, but I've been in here since, uh, on the 10th of October of this year, I'll be 50 years in Hanahan's. That's a long time. A lot of buttons sewn on by then. <laughs> Heads. Heads is the most special thing. And when my father was being interviewed back in 1973 by a reporter from the, one of the national newspapers, he said to my father, Dave, he says, how long do you think these hats will last? And his reply was, as long as people have heads. I'm hoping we've managed to slip you out of time a little bit here and you haven't noticed the 17 or so minutes that have passed. For most city dwellers, this is a journey to work. Maybe a few high-speed circuits on the velodrome, or I guess you could be sitting in a traffic jam. This has been part one of our ride on the wheels of time. You've been listening to the Bone Shaker cast. I'm Gary Fool. Music here has been by Sean Patrick Cooper Marcart and Rosenda Rocha, as well as the Agrarians and Earth Eater. More from Nick's Slow Coast journey can be seen and heard at slowcoast.co.uk. And remember, we're still young, so please do subscribe and share us around, send us your stories and give us some feedback. We're going to leave you now with one of Stanley Donward's insignificant bike crashes. So until next time from me. After I've expended a considerable effort, I reach the top of the hill. Breathing heavily, I suddenly realise that I've left my bag in the pub at the bottom of the hill. It is a winter night and my breath is wet smoke hanging in the amber glow of the streetlights. Wearily, I turn myself and my bicycle around and sail angrily back down the hill. I awaken in a bright place, coloured mostly white, beige and a shade of magnolia I do not care for. I am lying down on some sort of padded trolley, and various faces peer at me. I do not know these people. And after some time has passed, one of the people spends what feels like a very long time sewing my face together with a needle and thread. This experience is extremely unpleasant, and I give vent to a stream of expletives. When the person pauses with the sewing, I apologise for my intemperate language, but then the sewing recommences, as does my swearing. It stops again, I apologise again, and so on, for what seems to be a ridiculous length of time. It is a day or so before I find myself in front of a mirror. Rather than the stoic, distinguished, wounded gentleman I had expected to crack a wry smile at, I am faced with a reddened, swollen, puffy-cheeked chimp head, stitched about with what looks like an entire spool of black thread. My most noticeable wound, aside from a considerable scrape above my left ear, looks exactly like a Hitler moustache made of congealed blood.